0: always kind of an interesting challenge when you have three texts uh, to preach from, at least you can always go wild and preach on the intro it or something. Uh, today is an even more interesting feature uh, that very rarely happens where the text actually tells you what to preach on. Uh, that's our epistle lesson from 1 Thessalonians concludes with these words, encourage one another with these words. So how can I do anything else? These words are, after all, given to us as a great encouragement, uh, one that we do well to meditate on it and contemplate uh, more in depth uh, to get even more of the rich blessing of encouragement that they offer. And so, in fact, this one sentence from our epistle lesson, will form the, the backbone of our meditation uh, this morning as we dwell on uh, that uh, premise and that promise of encouragement that God gives us. Encourage one another with these words. It begins with the assertion that we are supposed to encourage one another in one way, shape, or form, To begin with, encourage one another. This is actually a really key fundamental part of our vocation or calling as Christians. That we are called to encourage one another, to lift one another up, support one another, uh, to uh, be a blessing to one another as we encourage each other in many ways, shapes, and forms. The book of First Thessalonians actually makes kind of a theme of this call to encourage one another. Uh, later on in chapter 5, uh, Paul writes, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. It's not... Uh, just an idle by the way sort of thing, that encouraging one another is an important part of our calling. Uh, It is an important part of our life as Christians uh, to uh, live in a right relationship with God, to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God, to worship Him and trust in Him, etc., to love our neighbor as ourselves, Uh, to spread the gospel to those who do not uh, yet know it, but also to spread the gospel to one another, to encourage one another and build up one another as members of the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters. He comes back to that actually in verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians, but I'm not going to highlight all the passages. Uh, Romans begins and ends with an encouragement uh, to encourage one another. Uh, chapter 1, uh, Paul wrote to the Romans of his longing to see them so that he may impart some spiritual gift that they may be established. doesn't use the word encouragement there, but it's the basic idea behind there, to impart a spiritual gift to help establish them, and that he himself may be encouraged by them. Uh, as their shared faith uh, is an encouragement, uh, both to the the teacher and the student, the apostle and the church, uh, that the mutual encouragement that we receive from each other was uh, part of the introduction to Romans and part of the uh, uh, conclusion as well. In chapter fifteen, uh, Paul writes that whatever was written in earlier times, uh, whatever is written in Scripture was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Uh, Now, may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. That the Scriptures are written for our encouragement by the God who gives encouragement. In order that we may be of the same mind, being an encouragement to one another. The book of Romans is widely known as uh, one of the deepest, if not the deepest, doctrinal uh, book of the Bible, but it's not just a, a code of teaching. It has a practical purpose at the, the heart of it that uh, is highlighted in the beginning and the end uh, to encourage. Us to encourage one another. The book of Hebrews also has a substantial theme of encouragement running through it. It says, makes very clear in Hebrews chapter 3, encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We are called to encourage one another. It's a part of our Christian life. And the value and purpose of that is, is partly be, to help be a safeguard uh, from sin that would entice us to find hope and courage in other areas that are not good for us. In Hebrews 10.25, it highlights one of the ways we share that encouragement is what we're doing right now. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's hard to encourage one another while being isolated from one another, isn't it? That we have to gather together, we have to be together to encourage one another. And in many ways, it's just that act of being together that is encouraging in and of itself. When you look around and see those familiar faces in the, uh, the chairs next to you, and you see the people gathered around you and you hear their voices singing and confessing the creed, isn't that an encouragement? Say, hey, I'm not alone here. That's a part of our Christian calling and the way God uses us as a gift to one another. And we need that because it's easy to get discouraged. We need to be continually encouraged because the world is continually uh, draining and eroding uh, our courage in so many different ways. As we uh, face continued nagging doubts that erode and drain away our our courage. As we uh, look around the world, that seems to be going to hell in a handbasket. And it scares us, drains and erodes our courage. As our our guilt, our shame, our uh, fears, our doubts... Our loss that surrounds us on every side attacks us, discourages us. We need to continually be encouraged. And it's not courage so much in the most familiar sense of the word of bravery or something like that that we need that has an element to that, Uh, but it's also a lot more than that. Uh, Similar to how the famous Arctic explorer, Ernest Shackleton, once said, uh, defined courage in this way, he said that optimism is true moral courage. The courage to believe that it'll all work out. The courage to believe that it's going to be okay in the face of all the stuff that's going on. In the face of wars and rumors of wars in the face of a dwindling bank account, in the face of declining health, in the face of the loss of a loved one, to continue to believe and hold fast that God is good, that he will provide, that it will be okay, that you are safe, that you are loved, that you are not alone. This is the kind of courage and strength that we can give to one another as we share the the faith that is at the heart of that hope, the heart of that true moral courage. Again, the, the Scripture's definition of this kind of courage is really kind of the intersection of hope and faith. When we the Bible talks about faith in the context of saving faith, it's not just an intellectual knowledge that Jesus is God. Even the devil has that. The devil knows that Jesus is God. Uh, faith it is more along the lines of, of a trust, uh, trust and hope uh, of, well as it's defined most clearly and famously in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. In First Timothy especially, but throughout the epistles, three times uh, Paul describes the relationship uh, of the believer to God as those who have put their hope in God. Our faith is not just in an intellectual cold proposition but in a promise that we believe will come true. That Christ will come again in glory to put an end to all evil all wickedness all sadness and all suffering and bring us eternal life. That is it is our, our faith. That is our hope. And that is our encouragement. And that's why the Apostle Paul says to encourage one another with these words. As he describes to them Christ's coming again in the clouds in glory. The sounding of the trumpet and the voice of the archangel. As the dead in Christ rise first. And then we who are still left, assuming we are still left at that time, will meet them in the air. That's another part of the encouragement. Because as we we sit along the side of a a friend, a brother or sister who's struggling, who's suffering, a lot of times it's hard to know what to say, isn't it? What do you say to someone who just lost their job, to someone who just lost their spouse or their child, their mom or dad, uh, who's uh, got a, a prognosis of cancer or whatever their difficulty may be, just battles depression? What do you say? Well, Paul tells you what to say. God's Word tells you what to say, gives us words of guaranteed gospel. Encourage one another with these words, pointing uh, to the wonderful hope we have. Not just here in 1 Thessalonians, but again, this is a consistent theme throughout Scripture. On Romans chapter 8, we read, For in hope we have been saved, but hope that's seen isn't hope for who hopes for what he already sees. But if what we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Encourage one another with these words. You can't see it now. We have a hope that we can eagerly wait for. And I'm just pulling verses out of context, but you could... uh, Put all of Romans 8 on this slide if the words wouldn't be so tiny that you couldn't see them. Uh, Because this whole passage is talking about how the creation groans waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And we ourselves groan inwardly as we await the redemption of our bodies. Uh, Looking forward to the resurrection on the last day. And how the eager hope that this promise gives us allows us to say that in all of these things that surround us, we are more than conquerors. Romans 15 uh, points to God. as the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the work of God. It's who God is to give us hope. And in that hope, we have peace and joy. Encourage one another with these words. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul reminds them that our hope isn't of salvation in this life. Our hope isn't of earthly health, wealth, and prosperity. If we've hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. And again, this whole chapter is about the resurrection, and it's a long chapter. Uh, He goes on and on about the the seed that is planted in the earth in order that it might sprout and come to life, Uh, just as we must be planted in the earth to come to life in immortality. Encourage one another with these words. The promise of the resurrection. Ephesians 1. Paul engages the church in Ephesus. The prayer that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened. To know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, throughout the New Testament again the idea of an Inheritance. Is a a common metaphor, a common expression of our salvation. uh, That we have something waiting for us, prepared for us. A hope of this glorious inheritance. Uh, God, in times of suffering, we need God to open the eyes of our hearts sometimes, to enlighten us, to see the hope of his calling. But he does that. Because He is the God of hope, who sends us His holy Spirit, that we may abound in hope, I could go on and on and on, hopefully you're not getting tired of it yet, but just one more to highlight is first Peter one verse three uh, who uh, the book of first Peter again talks a lot about hope, uh, but it begins with this this central fundamental starting point of hope uh, that's especially beneficial to remember. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a hope, a living hope, not a stale, stagnant, dead hope, a living hope. Through the resurrection of jesus christ it 's the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then again that Peter goes on to unpack this more and more beautifully that we 've been given a, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, an inheritance that uh, comes up again that will neither spoil, spoil, nor perish, nor faith It's kept in heaven for you who are being guarded by God's power in faith till the day of Christ's glorious appearing so that now though you may struggle in various trials and hardships for a time so that the, uh, your faith tested uh, like gold refined in a furnace may be found uh, pure to the praise and glory of God at the day of his glorious appearing. I've got that one up here because I, I use it to tell myself and others as an encouragement in those times of hardship and trials. Christ's coming again, the promise of his return and the, the salvation from uh, sin, death, and the devil, the ultimate salvation that we will have and the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting is a wonderful hope and encouragement that we can lean on for ourselves and share with others uh, at all times, hopefully all the time. Our epistle lesson, of course, talks about that whole idea of uh, the resurrection. But I like the part that just precedes Uh, that final verse, that sums it up uh, so beautifully. Uh, When Paul writes, encourage one another with these words, the words that he he just spoke, if you want to trim it down to one sentence, and so we will always be with the Lord. He talks about Christ coming again in glory and clouds and the voice of the archangel and the sounding of the trumpet and the dead and Christ rising first and we will be with him in the air and the levitation will be cool, I'm sure. But the, the big payoff is the conclusion, and so we will always be with the Lord. It's the, another way of saying happily ever after, I think. But it's not just ever after from that point. Because it says we'll always be with the Lord. A reminder that even in death, we're not separated from God and his love. But maybe sometimes more importantly, even in life, we're not separated from God and his love. Because truth be told, sometimes life can feel farther from God than death as we're surrounded by loss, surrounded by fears, doubts that would cause us to to have a hard time on believing in his presence. But whatever we may be going through, broken dreams, broken relationships, in poverty and affliction, whatever we are without, we will always be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord, not just in the future, but now as well. We will always be with the Lord. It comes back to that theme again in chapter 5, actually in chapter 5, verse 10 of First Thessalonians. It stresses that whether we are awake or asleep, meaning alive or dead, whether we are awake or asleep, we are with him because he has promised to be with us. As we await the day of fulfillment, the day of our ultimate salvation, when Christ comes again in glory, uh, we wait in hope, uh, with the encouragement of a, a living hope, given to us by the Holy Spirit, the God of all hope, who through his constant reminders in word and sacrament and the fellowship of brothers and sisters assures us that we are not alone, that he has good things in store for us. And it will all be more than okay because we will be with him always. And may that peace that is beyond all understanding Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus as we await the day of his glorious return. Amen.